From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Brian Walsh, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, December 16th. Today, I'm joined by Kristen Hall of Nia Impact Capital, a longtime Tesla investor who says Elon Musk's Twitter escapades threaten the electric vehicle maker's climate mission. Hi, Kristen, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, Brian. How are you? Thanks for having me. Great to have you. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. The U.S. Energy Secretary calls it one of the most impressive scientific feats of the 21st century. This week, officials at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory announced a technical breakthrough in nuclear fusion research. Using 192 lasers, they generated net energy, a significant milestone in which they produced more energy than it took to start the reaction. There's still a long way and many years of further research for this to become practical at scale, but it offers the tantalizing prospect of potentially abundant, clean, cheap green electricity without the drawbacks of conventional nuclear power. Renewed interest in nuclear fusion is fueling a race among startups to commercialize the technology, with nearly $5 billion going into fusion startups in recent years. Bob Mumgard at Commonwealth Fusion Systems says the results, quote, demonstrate that fusion science is worth the investment. In other energy news, the Department of Energy's Loans Program Office is gearing up to lend more than $100 billion for low-carbon tech that's not yet bankable. On a recent Agents of Impact podcast, Jigger Shaw told David Bank that the office has gotten the first few loans out the door, including last week's $2.5 billion financing to a joint venture of GM and LG Energy to build lithium-ion battery plants in three Midwest states and they have a queue of another 100 active applications. Jigger called on agents of impact to go to their hometown officials and urge them to take advantage of the pile of federal dollars and falling cost curves for all kinds of low carbon infrastructure and upgrades. Vietnam has linked the latest Just Energy Transition Partnership. They joined South Africa and Indonesia who have signed such partnerships that are aimed at helping emerging market countries make the low carbon transition and wean themselves off coal while keeping unions, consumers, and other stakeholders on board. Vietnam's Just Energy Transition Partnership will make available $15.5 billion in loans for utility-scale solar and other projects. It's an ESG whodunit. More than half of the $17 trillion in sustainable investment assets identified in a 2020 survey from the U.S. SIF have disappeared in the U.S. SIF's 2022 tally. What happened to $8.7 trillion? Well, those funds didn't make the cut when the U.S. SIF applied stricter guidelines about what counts as sustainable. A preview of what may happen if the Securities and Exchange Commission goes through with proposed new rules tightening the guidelines for funds that claim to be ESG and sustainable. And finally, in Chile, a food company called Notco landed $70 million for its line of plant-based foods based on an artificial intelligence platform nicknamed Giuseppe. The AI analyzes the molecular structures of animal-based foods and matches the flavors and textures with plant-based ingredients. Notco has already brought to market animal-free mayonnaise, alternative milk, ice cream, meat, and other products. Now it's time for our feature conversation, and I'm joined by Kristen Hull, founder of Nia Impact Capital. Now, Kristen, before we begin, can you tell us a bit about Nia Impact Capital? 
Sure, absolutely. So NIA is a women-led asset management firm, so that sets us apart in itself. We are also unique in that we're investing at the intersection of environmental sustainability and social justice. Now, I understand that you are an impact investor in the public markets. So what does that mean exactly? That's right. So I actually started my impact career in angel investing and in the private markets and realized that there just wasn't enough deal um, and people were not investing in that space for a variety of reasons and that the most impact we could have was actually in the public markets. And so that means looking at companies one by one and getting to know them really, really well and placing them into the portfolio one at a time, as opposed to traditionally what happens in public markets is someone or, or a group or a firm starts with an index and then might pick out the bad players. Uh, we are looking at our solutions themes. We're asking what is beneficial and really needed for people and planet to not only survive, but to thrive together. And then what are the companies that are working for that just transition? Which will the companies that are needed for our just sustainable next economy? So in addition to selecting those public companies to include in your funds, uh, I understand that you also work with them to improve their ability to deliver. Uh, is that correct? Absolutely. So just like an impact investor, we get to know our companies really well. And we like to get to know the people behind the ticker symbols um, because we know that all organizations are made up of individuals and people. And we do engage with we seek to engage with every one of our companies. And it often turns out that we have chosen the companies with the revenue sources coming from sustainable solutions. And yet every company, there's no perfect company. And so oftentimes companies could use a little nudge or push or just needing best practices when it comes to building that innovative, diverse team. And so we encourage our companies to adopt the best practices in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, I understand that you've had some recent success on that front. Is that right? We have. We have a pretty significant track record of success in um, oftentimes it happens behind the scenes and you don't hear about it in the media or the news because we really do seek to have win-win conversations and dialogues and work with companies behind the scenes about getting some of these policies and practices adopted. Um, and when companies aren't moving as fast or as quickly or as thoughtfully as we would like to see them moving, then we do use the tools of shareholder activism and file with the SEC. And can you give us an example? I believe that you worked with Apple we have, yes, with a coalition of other um, investors and activists, and we did file the shareholder resolution, won more than 50% of the vote, and then the board did um, do a report on the use of NDAs, uh, concealment clauses in employee contracts, and um, it was announced uh, last week, and we are so thrilled and still celebrating this win that Apple is removing NDAs from all employee contracts uh, retroactively currently and for the future, also for contractors and also for international employees. So we are really, really excited. This sets an amazing trend for not only the tech se sector um, and yet for all companies across the U.S. And what does the removal of the NDAs for employees, what kind of impact do you expect that to have? You know, it's tremendous what the impact is going to be because what we are seeking to see is you know, we invest in the most innovative companies and we want them to continue to innovate. And, and the research says that a diverse team has more innovation um, you know, up to 80% of the time. And so we really want to see companies being able to 
uh, recruit, hire, retain, and promote top talent and, and a diverse team. And with an NDA, they are um, associated with sexual harassment, covering up what could be cases of sexual harassment and racial discrimination. Um, and it does keep women and people of color from advancing in the workforce. So the removal of NDA clauses, it kind of rips a Band-Aid off for some companies that are having issues. It brings lots of transparency, much needed transparency for not only investors, but for employees themselves, so that um, if they're, if anyone is having an issue, they're now free to talk about it. And the fact that that dialogue is now free flowing, managers um, and executives are much more likely to put policies and practices in place to really build that inclusive, diverse workforce. And that's what we're after. The inclusive, diverse workforce, you, you think your theory is, will uh, outperform uh, and help the company outperform in the long run? Absolutely. We have a track record of showing that. And turning now to Tesla. Now, I understand that you first invested in the electric vehicle maker back in 2013. What was the reason for that initial investment? Just like so many other investors, we're really excited about the products and services coming out of Tesla. And when we're looking to transition to this next just sustainable economy, that battery play is what I'm really after. Now, like it or hate it, you, no one can dispute that Tesla has not completely um, disrupted our automobile industry as we know it. And so while we're not specifically in Tesla for the electric vehicle, we're really about that um, one-stop shopping as far as the solar panels and the battery play as well as the vehicles. I, I take it that you're not just a passive investor with Tesla as you are not just a passive investor with some of your other holdings. How have you engaged with the company over the years and what kind of issues have you advocated for? We are activist investors across the board. And so looking at our companies, we look at each one and we really look to see the strengths and then what might be the weaknesses and where does our expertise at NIA could be helpful to this company. And so at Tesla, we have um, been after a few things. One of them, that we've spoken to them about several times is child labor in the mines, um, particularly in the Congo in Africa. And um, the main issue that we've gone to the SEC about is forced arbitration in employee contracts. As a Tesla shareholder, uh, this has been a, a bumpy year in 2022. So the, the stock is off 60% from its high with much of that decline coming since April when Tesla's founder and CEO Elon Musk announced his $44 billion bid for Twitter. Uh, he had to finance that bid in part by selling some of his Tesla holdings over the years. Um, you know, how, how do you feel about having, as a Tesla shareholder, how do you feel about having Elon Musk now, if you will, distracted uh, by his ownership of Twitter? Well, I just want to back up to say that we have removed Tesla from client portfolios because of the risk that we see. And we have actually moved it over into an activist portfolio so that we can continue this work with them on some of the various ESG issues. So you are still a, a Tesla shareholder, uh, but not through your client funds. Is that right? Exactly. And and the reason is that you feel like it's too risky right now, or is it because of the exactly. overall financial was... performance? Well, they go hand in hand right now, right? So we anticipated and saw this and we were early in to really understand the risks, particularly because of the way we saw them treating employees. Um, and so we saw some underlying risks because we have identified um, racial discrimination in the plants. 
And what does Musk's ownership of Twitter have to do with his management of Tesla? That is a really good question. Investors should be asking that question, right? So is it a distraction? Um, you know, this is a person who has decided to be the CEO of several missions, you know, over time, you know, he's a startup dude, he does that. How well does he do it? And is this to the detriment of the current project, which so many Tesla investors want to see the products and services of Tesla thrive? And is Twitter getting in the way of that? What, uh, what, what do you think could be done about Elon Musk? Can he be reined in? Well, that is the tweet. That is the tweet of the day that I put out there. Um, that is actually the board's job. The board, um, you know, the CEO in every company really is governed and works for the board and the board should be doing evaluations of the CEO, both on CEO pay, on performance um, and on daily activities. You know, I, I tweeted several years ago that I thought the board ought to take his phone away because of the erratic tweets. Uh, should they have allowed him to purchase this? You know, I I don't think that the board is doing the job that it needs to do in this case. As far as protecting shareholder value, employees, all of the stakeholders involved, there's a lot of risk, uh, risky activity right now. So drill down, what actions would you prefer to see Tesla's board take to kind of rein Elon Musk in? Well, you know, it's a really good question because in a regular company, that weren't the most innovative, uh, you know, in the automobile industry and all of these things that didn't have a CEO who happened to be yesterday the richest man in the world. I think that's not true today after he sold some shares and, and things. But at any rate, this is a tricky situation. So I don't envy anybody on that board at this time because that's a really, really tricky job. And yet um, this is their job to rein him in. Kristen, Tesla's share price has, as we as we noted at the top, has declined by uh, 60% from its top, much of that happening uh, since April of this year. How much of that do you attribute to just the broader macroeconomic forces in the economy? Um, and how much of that do you attribute to uh, Elon Musk's management and his also simultaneous ownership of Twitter? You know, it's, it's an interesting question, right? Because in the macro environment, uh, the market has done terribly. The tech sector in itself has done terribly. And yet these are automotives. These are, um, you know, industrials and his peers at Ford and GM have not done the same. So we can attribute uh, the drop in price from um, fear, I think, of traders of what is happening and what is happening with that CEO, what is happening with the company. It looks and appears that the CEO is incredibly distracted and that is causing concern for traders and investors. Now, as an activist investor, um, you know, what is your overall approach, you know, to when you leave a company? you know, uh, versus when you stay into a company, like when you when you when you actually divest, if you will, from a holding versus when you stay and engage with management? What, how do you make that decision? Sure. So generally, uh, if the company continues to innovate and continues to provide products and services that are in alignment with one or more of Nia's solution themes and continues to advance in its diversity and inclusion, they can stay in the portfolio. When we see risks, um, either from management um, or the executive team or a change in products or services where they no longer align with our sustainable economy views, then they could be removed. And then they just get put to the sideline and we move on and we move forward with the other companies in the portfolio. In the case of Tesla, with the indications of 
rampant racism happening and discrimination happening in the plants, we felt an obligation to the employees to stay in and to continue to use our investor voice for change. We also are really wedded to the sustainable economy happening, and we want to see this company being the best that it can be. So much has been made in recent weeks and months about Musk's treatment of Twitter employees and his overall management style. Based on your understanding of his management style at Tesla and the concerns that you have just raised about uh, some of his worker practices, uh, is this is this a, a trend that, that, that you think is consistent through his, his career? This is incredibly consistent. Yes, we have lots of reports and they're out there in the media about the ways that employees have been treated at Tesla and some of his other companies. So this is very consistent for him. What would it take for Tesla to... Uh, be a better employer uh, and be a company that you would feel comfortable supporting and having your client funds invest in again? That's a great question because we're really about building and nurturing an inclusive, positive and diverse employee culture and company culture. And that generally comes from the top. We want to see the executive team and the board really taking leadership. Um, and that means really careful attention to human resources and what we want to see in a company. And this could shift at Tesla. And then we would absolutely love to revisit that as an investment. We want to see companies looking at their employees on the asset side of the balance sheet and literally holding them there as human beings, something to be invested into rather than on the expense side of the balance sheet. So um, as dispendable or as an expense. And so that's something that we would need to really see shift at Tesla. All right. Well, uh, Kristen Hull of Nia Impact Capital, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. That's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks again to Kristen and our producer extraordinaire, Isaac Silk. Ready to try Impact Alpha? Sign up for Impact Alpha Open, which is free, directly at impactalpha.com. Want to go deeper? Grab a subscription and get full access to all of Impact Alpha, including the award-winning Morning Brief and our popular Agents of Impact calls. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and choose an annual subscription. For now, I'm Brian Walsh, Head of Sustainability for the capital markets firm TPI Cap. The briefing podcast will be off until 2023. So until next time, take good care and we will see you on the other side.